Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? The word says that one day in the temple of the Lord is better than 10,000 anywhere else. Because in His presence there is fullness of joy, and in His presence we lack nothing. Amen. If you believe that, shout amen. Amen. What a mighty God we serve. Before you take your seats, let's pray together. Can we just thank our worship team this morning? Lord, we gather in your name this morning, the name that is above every other name, the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that as a church, we have the privilege to worship you in spirit and in truth, and thank you for your presence. Lord, thank you for your presence. This is not something we take lightly. This is something that we cherish and hold dear to our hearts, and Lord, we ask that you would allow us to go even deeper. And as we now move into your word, we ask that your presence would accelerate our understanding and allow your truth to impact the very core of our beings so that your love would infiltrate and heal every brokenness and expose every lie and deception from the enemy so that we can get to the place where we love like you. Lord, your word sets the captives free, so allow us to be set free by your everlasting word today. We ask this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may take your seats this morning. Well, church, it is so good to be with you all this morning. And I personally just want to welcome everyone in the house, as well as those joining us online. I have a message that I want to share with you today that I've titled, The Power of God's Love. I believe this will become a series of messages because of where we are as a church and where God is leading us in this season. So you could say that today is part one of the series called The Power of God's Love. And I want to get right into it this morning, and I want to start by asking you a very important question. Why do we do what we do in serving? Let me ask that again. Why do we do what we do in serving? You see, church life has its own culture, and there are things that we do in that culture that we call ministry, right? But the reason why we do ministry is of utmost importance in our motivation to work for the Lord. And there is this amazing scripture verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, that I want to zone in on during our message this morning, that I believe will answer our question on why we do what we do. So let's have a look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says... For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. I like what the contemporary version says. It says, we are ruled by Christ's love for us. We are certain that if one person died for everyone else, then all of us have died. And Christ did die for all of us. Amen? He died so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died and was raised to life for us. Isn't that powerful? Other translations say we are controlled or we are constrained by Christ's love. And you may say, Pastor, but what does that scripture verse about God's love have to do with our motivation in serving the body of Christ or or working for the Lord? That's a good question. We'll, We'll get to that. But let me ask you a question in return. What do you think kept the apostle Paul preaching and carrying on despite what he faced in life. 
If you read the Bible enough times, you'll find that Paul experienced a great deal of persecution and hostility because of the message that he preached. He was rejected. He was beaten. He was arrested and imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. He was betrayed. He was threatened and finally beaten. But what kept him moving? What motivated him? Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, all I want to know is Christ. All he wants is the true revelation of Christ and the power that raised him from death. He says, I want to share in his sufferings and be like him even in his death. Powerful scripture that, and what Paul is telling us here at church is that the things that he's experienced by preaching and living the gospel has brought him to this place of a true revelation of Christ. And just a quick note for you and I this morning. If we don't go through moments of persecution and suffering and pain, we may very well miss this true revelation of Jesus Christ. Because, you see, sometimes we've only learned about things in life. We only have head knowledge. But it just seems that when life puts us in a vice grip and we find ourselves constrained, that it's in those moments that God shows himself to us. He reveals himself to us. Because, church, everything we depended upon before is removed in those moments of pain, suffering, or persecution. But to come back to the question, what was it that kept the Apostle Paul so relentless? In fact, what was it that so compelled him to give his life for this message? Church, do you know what the Apostle Paul, Paul's motivation was? It was the compelling power of God's love. That's what he's telling us. What is it that constrains me? What is it that compels me? What is it that motivates me and drives me to do what I do in preaching and in ministry and in life? He says it is the love of Christ. Paul is describing the powerful, spirit-filled motivation that drives the followers of Christ to share the gospel in ways that persuade other people to commit their lives to God. That's the definition that Paul has given us. And you see, it was the love of Christ that compelled Paul to share the gospel. And Paul knew the power of the gospel. That's why it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is what? For it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul understood the love. He understood the power of God's love. Now, when we look at this scripture verse here in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, it could be interpreted in two ways. Christ's love for people or the apostles' love for Christ. Either interpretation would provide motivation for us to take the gospel wherever we go, but it's important for us to know what this really says here. Look at that verse again. It says, For Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love. It is the love of Christ, not our love for Christ that has this constraining power over our lives. So if that is the case, we need to ask ourselves the question, why do we do what we do? Is it just because it's part of church life and, and part of church culture? Or the way that you've been brought up in life? Or is there something more to it? I mean, why do we have initiatives in our, our church like Love God, Love People? And within that ministry, we, uh, why do we gather food 
clothes and blankets in winter and other times throughout the year to feed those and help those in need. And why do we have the Diakonia ministry that feeds hundreds of children and elderly in Eldorado Park week after week? As a church, with your tithing, why do we support missionaries and evangelists every month? And why do we support our widows and orphans? Let me ask you something. Why do your children on a freezing cold winter's evening come and say to you, Mom or Dad, please can we gather the, the blankets and clothes that we're not using in our house so that we can give it to the, the, those homeless on our street corners? Why do a group of people gather every Saturday morning to, in the chapel to pray for our children? Why do our, our, our intercessors have this burden to continually pray into what, what God is saying in the season for our church? Why are some of you gathering children desperately that desperately need the love of Christ and bringing them to church on Sundays? Why is the Lord birthing new ministries in many of you, and why are many of you feeling compelled to get involved in what God is doing through this church? Why do we do all those things? Is it because the leadership have asked you to do it? Or because it's part of church life and part of church cult, or because you feel guilty to do it? No. There is so much more to it. And Paul tells us why here in verse 14. He says, It is the love of Christ that compels me, that motivates me, and constrains me to the point where I just feel I need to. And I don't do it because I have to, I do it because I want to. Why? Because the love of Christ has so transformed me that I've become a recipient and a conduit of that truth and that love. Amen? And because of that, I so want other people to know about the love of Christ that has set me free and the love that constrains me. You see, church, if the love of Christ is operating in us that way, our worship won't drag and our worship won't have to be entertainment. And I just want to commend you this morning and encourage you. The worship in this place is so authentic, right, and so sincere, and you are entering in so quickly that we could probably worship without a worship team. Not that we would do that, but you get what I'm saying, right? We are not concerned about entertainment in this church. We don't need someone to crank us up because we are compelled and constrained by something else. Amen? <clears throat> And we need to get excited about that because when the love of Christ really is burning with passion, we don't find complacency, church, and we don't find mediocrity. And we don't find situations where ministries or leadership feel like they have to entertain or encourage you to do something or stir something up inside of you. You see, the call of what Paul is saying here is that when you take that word constrain and you bring it in and you break it down, what he is saying here is that this truth right here about Christ's love, it has me hedged in. It has me hemmed in. I'm like hemmed into a garment, and I'm so overtaken by its power and moved by its current that I'm at its mercy. Paul understood that, and Paul found that as he, as he went through his life. That's why when you look at his salutations, his salutations illustrate this. When he says, I, Paul, an apostle of the Lord... Were our Paul a servant of the Lord? Were our Paul, as he says in Ephesians 3, our Paul a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ? He illustrates this constraining love. And I want to give you an illustration of what I'm, I'm talking about. How many of you still use toothpaste in a tube? You look at me like, is there another way? 
you know, we have arrived culturally because you can get tooth a toothpaste dispenser that dispenses the perfect amount of toothpaste every time. Did you know that? I've got you thinking. You're going to go and search for it later on, eh? <laughs> but how many of you still use a normal toothpaste tube when you're brushing your teeth? You know, when you take off that cap of the tube, you go to the bottom, and what do you do? You squeeze it, right? And all of a sudden, it comes out of that opening, and you have toothpaste. And in the same way, that's what Paul is telling us. That the response to everything he did was though something was squeezing him, and what came out of him was this motivation of the love of Christ. When you look at the Greek word for constrain or compel, it is the Greek word senecho. And look at the definition. Put it up for us there. Senecho means to hold together to enclose, to hold prisoner, to seize or press hard or to dominate. Isn't that a fantastic description? And church, isn't it amazing to think that the power of God's love can affect our lives in that way? And how do we know when someone has been affected in that way? How do we know that we're in the presence of a person that has been overwhelmed by the love of Christ? How do you know? Their response and their behavior reveals it. They talk differently and they behave differently because their motivating force is different. And the result of that motivating force is faithfulness and fruitfulness. Faithfulness and fruitfulness are results of that compelling force. You see, church, that means that when the love of Christ, of Jesus Christ, is the motivating force in our lives... You don't try to be faithful and you don't try to be fruitful. Because of the love of Christ that compels and drives you, faithfulness and fruitfulness are just a natural outflow of your relationship with the love of Christ in your life. You don't try to be. It transforms you to the point where you become. You become. When somebody is full of the love of Christ, you don't have to drag them to the house of the Lord on Sunday mornings to come and attend a church service. You don't have to keep them awake during the preaching of the Word. Is anybody sleeping right now? You don't have to persuade them to come to a, a prayer meeting because there's a spontaneous result because there's a compelling purpose. On the flip side, church, losing the purpose of God's compelling love causes the driving force to be diminished. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's a problem that we face sometimes in church life and in our Christian journey. And I don't believe that any true believer of Jesus Christ that has experienced the love of Christ set out to drift. But apparently the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 started to drift. And as Jesus speaks to them, he says, I have this one thing against you. You have moved away. You have drifted from your first love, and you have to come back. And you see, church life sometimes gets confusing and complicated, and you start to question yourself sometimes when the compelling force of the love of Christ is not the driving force anymore. How does that happen, you may ask? Because we begin to do things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not by the power of His love. We do things in His name, but we don't do things in the power of His name and in His love. 
That's why there were those that said, but Lord, in your name we did all these things. Right? We, we cast our demons in your name. We, we healed the sick in your name. We did great things in your name. And the Lord says, what's your name again? I'm not sure that I know you. So we can do a lot of things in, in the name, the claim. We can name it and claim it, but where's the power? See, proclaiming his name is just acknowledgement, but expressing the love that is in, is in his name brings intimacy. I can say to Pastor Rennell, good morning, Rennell, that's acknowledgement. But if I say, good morning, my beautiful, I love you, and I show a bit of affection or I speak to her love language, that's expressing it. And it's in the expressing where intimacy takes place. That's what happens to your vocab when you come back from a marriage enrichment weekend, right? <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. It needs to be more than just acknowledgement. There needs to be expression that leads to intimacy. And we have to make sure that we're not going through the motions in our spiritual exercises. It's like the conflict between Mary and Martha. Martha is so busy preparing meals in the kitchen that she forgets who she's cooking for and why she's cooking. And you just have Mary there sitting at the feet of Jesus, realizing how wonderful worship is in this place of intimacy. But at some point, Martha feels, you know what, Mary, you've got to get up at some point from worshiping the Lord and get up and do something. Did you remember Jesus' response to Martha? He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. You see, if we're not careful, we'll do many things for the sake of doing it and forget why we're doing it in the first place. There's an expression that says, we're so busy working for the Lord that we forget the Lord we're working for. And I'm not saying that as a church we're at that place. In fact, when I look at you and I, I see what the Lord is doing through your lives, I think we're on the opposite spectrum. But church, let us be so zealous in our walk with the Lord that we will be determined not to let it drift. Let us guard the, the love that so compels and constrains us. If I could give you an analogy, it's like a couple that is getting married, they first get engaged. And the woman goes around, she's showing everybody her engagement ring, they are both so excited, right? They're overwhelmed. And 30 days before the marriage, the, the countdown begins. 30, it's 20, it's 10. They're sending pictures. They're sending messages all over social media. So excited. And then the marriage happens, the ceremony. 30 days later, again, they're so overwhelmed. And they say to each other, you know what? I'm so glad that I've met the love of my life, my soulmate. And then 10 years later, you ask them, how's your marriage? And they proceed to explain the three stages of marriage to you. Do you know what the three stages are? It's the engagement ring, it's the wedding ring, and then the suffering. <laughs> not me and Pastor Renal, obviously. You know. <laughs> and guys, that's not the type of joke you're telling public to enrich your marriage, okay? <laughs> but in all seriousness, we learned from our marriage enrichment weekend that some of the couples in our church have been successfully married for a very long time, almost as long as, as I've been alive. I looked at that list and I noticed that Johan and Brenda have been married for 44 years. Wow. Yeah. Bryant and Dow for 36 years. 
Howard and Claudia also for 36 years, right? And Theo and Barbara are not far behind with 34 years. And look, there's probably some couples here today that can beat that. I know my, my parents can beat that. But the point I'm making is that when you look at a commitment that spans over so many years, do you think it just happens naturally? Do you think that complacency or giving up has brought them so far? No. You've got to work at it. You've got to build into it. And you've got to make sure that the two of you don't drift apart. And it sounds pretty obvious, right? But the truth of the matter is that life can get so busy and you can fill your life and be busy with so many things that you forget why you got married in the first place and what was the compelling purpose for you wanting to get married. You can be with a person for, for 40 years and slowly drift apart and when your children leave home, you don't even know each other anymore. There's no intimacy and you start to question your union as a couple. In the same way, church, in ministry, you can work for the Lord for 40 years, but in the process, you can forget the Lord that you're working for. If we're not careful, we begin to do things for other reasons. And we get so busy doing ministry that it becomes a drudgery, it becomes a chore. And what happens next is you start to question what you're doing or why you're doing what you're doing, and intimacy with the Lord starts to drift and dissipate. Right? That's why this example of, of Mary and Martha is such a good example for us. And look, don't get me wrong. You know, in church life and in ministry, there will always be things that we will be accountable for. As frontline church and school, we have buildings and we have properties to maintain. We have budgets and we have finances. And we have people that have been entrusted to us. But we just need to make sure that the driving factor, while we have buildings and budgets and finances and people that we are accountable for, is because of the love of Christ that compels us and constrains us. That it motivates us so deeply to do what we do to the best of our ability. Paul is telling us this morning that the key to preaching this gospel, the key to living this Christian life, is the love of Christ that constrains us. So let me ask you again, church, why do you do what you do? Why are you here this morning? Why did you get up early and prepare yourself so beautifully to come to this place of worship? What is it that drives you to do what you do? What is, it, what is it that drives you to get involved in ministry? Listen, we've got leaders in this church that have been serving some for over 10 years, some for over 15 years, some for over 30 years. And they have battle scars that very few of us are aware of. And what has motivated them to remain faithful for so long? It is the love of Christ. Some days in ministry, you go home and you just bandage up the wounds, but the next morning you're back there, right back at it. Why? Because you become to realize as a Christian, I'm not working for temporal rewards. I'm working for something of eternal value. I'm not working for man. I am working for God. So the next morning, I'll do the best that I can and I will, I'll get up. I might not always tell you how I'm feeling, but there is something that causes us to get up and come here and to serve. There is something that causes us to get up on the platform or whatever we do to bring forth ministry. There is something that compels you to serve or to stand up. Who knows what I'm talking about? You see, sometimes when you stand up here, you've got to swallow hard. 
Let me tell you something. Sometimes you have to wipe away the tears. But at the end of the day, your motivation has to be Jesus. If it's not Jesus, you're not going to find me in the church offices this week or preaching next weekend. Then I might as well just start planning my retirement to go and sit on the beach one day and enjoy the sun rays. Maybe somewhere in what? Amanus or Mosul Bay. I don't know. But the fact of the matter, church, is that what motivates me to get up every morning and do what I do, and what motivates you to do his, the work for His name's sake, is the love of Christ that compels and constrains us. And our responsibility is to make sure that we don't ever become complacent and drift away from this constraining love. We need to feed it. We need to build into it. We need to appreciate it. Right? And like I said in my last message, when I spoke about hearing the voice of God, we need to allow the Holy Spirit unlimited and unrestricted access to our soul, to our hearts, to our conscience, to our character. We need to give Him complete access for that love to come and have its work and do whatever it needs to do in every part of our lives. And why do we need to do that? So that we can become conduits of this compelling and constraining love. Does that make sense, church? Have you got a better understanding of what compels you to do God's work and to live out the gospel? And I just want to be clear this morning, in case you're thinking that ministry only applies to what happens in church, I want to say to you that your whole life is your ministry, and your ministry is your whole life. I like what uh, Pastor Keith Meyer wrote. He said, The reality is that every man and woman in Christ is called to live out of an authentic life in Christ. This life is my ministry. My ministry is my life. He says, this morning as you are at home with your family, your ministry is already happening. As you go to work, your ministry is already being lived out. Your ministry is happening wherever and whenever you live and are present in another's life. You see, sometimes we compartmentalize our church life and our day-to-day life. We, be, we behave one way in church and another way at home, right? God says, I don't want that to be. I want your whole life to be your ministry. And it's important for us to understand that the love of Christ won't only compel you when you come to church. It will compel you wherever you are and whenever you are present in other people's lives. And as I close this morning... Maybe Rainy can come up. Our church, I just pray that God would stir our hearts. I'm not saying that we're lost. I'm not saying that we drifted. I'm not even saying that we've become complacent. Like I said earlier, I believe we are on the opposite spectrum. And not because of what we've done, but because the Lord is working in us and preparing us. But may the Lord this morning just stir our hearts to another level. May He accelerate us into our purpose and and into our destiny. May He show us how to pursue His manifest presence and and remain there. Remain in that love that constrains us and hems us into His garment. Are you ready to give that constraining love, the Lord, complete access to your life to compel you to do these things, church? Can we just give God all the glory for His word this morning? I'm going to ask my wife to close for us in prayer and share something.
And we'll just close our eyes this morning and just meditate on the word. Just let the Lord speak to your heart this morning. This is a life-changing word when we fully comprehend the love of Christ. I was thinking this morning, please don't look at me, just focus on Jesus. But I was thinking this morning in a, an example of a married couple, sometimes they get to a point where one of the partner's heart has grown so hard. And no matter how much love the other person is trying to lavish on their spouse, they're just not receptive. Their hearts are cold and hard and they just cannot open themselves up to receive the love from their spouse. We have the same potential in our ability to receive Christ's love where our hearts become hardened and cold and callous and numb. My prayer this morning is that we would just turn our hearts over to God and say, Lord, take it all. Soften the places that have become hardened where I've struggled to receive your love. So maybe just on your own this morning, just say, Lord, I give you my heart. Every part. I want to fully receive the love of Christ that it will compel me and constrain me and control me. So Lord, this morning we surrender our hearts. We yield ourselves so that you may have control. Lord, I pray our hearts become soft and pliable to receive all that you have for us. Like the word says that we would be able to comprehend the width, the depth, the heart of Christ's love for us. Thank you that your spirit has shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. May we receive it by faith this morning, I pray, Lord. And Father, your word says that you would take the heart of stone and you will give us a heart to know you. Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us revelation of your love. that your love for us and your love in us would be the motivation of everything that we do, including our worship. Including our worship. God, may it be motivated by our love for you because we've had a revelation of your love for us. Lord, I pray today over everyone in this building, those listening online, would you cause a deepening of our love relationship with Jesus? Captivate our hearts, God. 
cause us to know you. Cause us to be open and tender to your love, Lord, I pray. We yield ourselves to you this morning, Jesus. We thank you for your love that has no limits. Jesus, we thank you that you coming to the cross was motivated by love. And today we thank you for that. We honor you, Lord. Father, I pray this morning that you ignite every heart and cause us to go deeper. Cause a desire in each of us, Lord, to go deeper. Lord, to gain greater understanding and revelation of your love. No more striving in our own strength, but resting in your love. Lord, I speak that over each one today. I prophesy, God, no more striving, but resting in the love of Christ. May we receive it. May we embrace it. Jesus, we thank you for your love. In your own words this morning, do you just want to thank him for his love? We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the price. We thank you for what you've done. Lord, we give you permission to take full control of us. Spirit of God, we give you permission to take control. Lord, may we be constrained by your love. Hem us in, I pray, Jesus. Hem us in. May we be moved by the love of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.